Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It is just after 8 o'clock in the UK, 9 o'clock where I am and where I am is in the beautiful surroundings. I've, I've got a Valkyrie in front of me, albeit only a picture of one, but my goodness, how that makes your heart beat a little faster. I'm in the Aston Martin Lounge at the pit out of the uh, Nürburgring on the Grand Prix circuit, getting ready for the 24-hour race this weekend. Uh, over and up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Uh, good evening, listener. I'm sorry, I was a bit loud when I said Valkyrie because I got a bit excited. Uh, good evening to the I listener. I presume yes. you mean the car and not the Wagnerian being. It's it's Wagnerian. It is Wagnerian. There's no doubt about it. Is it Risen? I'll tell you more about that later on in the weekend because it's a bit special and we should have some more news on it over the weekend. Uh, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We Yay. have all the news from uh, Europe and uh, from America. Right. Uh, we don't have any news in Spanish, though. We don't oh, yeah. have a point of press release. Oh, OK. Uh, but we will be joined by uh, Nick Damon later on in the show. OK. Uh, we'll be joined by Johnny Palmer. We'll be joined by... He's not here yet, because he's still having dinner. That's fine, he's got plenty of time. He's not on till the... S- well, I was going to say second hour of the show, but there's something in the first hour that we might bring him in hot. Shall I drop for, him a text then and uh, tell him just to, to finish get his some stick? local knowledge. Uh, oh, yes, okay. tell him to bring Joe Bradley with him, although Joe may not contribute, but it's nice to have him sitting in the background, isn't it? Paul Trussell will be joining us later as well. All right, I'll Is he having again, dinner as well? Yes, they're all out having... I, I rushed my dinner this evening, but it was very lovely. There's a nice little steak restaurant just around the corner. That tends to be the tradition is first night schnitzel, yes. at our hotel. Second night, uh, we go to the steak restaurant just mm-hmm. around the corner from. Uh, it's just you go sort of under Tea Garden and and onto down alongside the Dottigahua. Not the Piston Closer, because that's where everybody goes. We we have another little one down there, which is lovely, uh, and uh, in sort of in Nurburg itself. Uh, and then the rest of the week, it's just fend for yourself, really. Snack when you can. Uh, we also have Shay Adam on the show. She'll be our first guest tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've been busy setting up today. So uh, Tim has put this, as ever, has put the show together um, immaculately, I hope. I may have built you up a bit much there, Tim. It will be immaculate. Excellent. 
And you'll be very, very pleased with the show, I hope. All right, okay, very good. If not, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing at all, I'm that far away. Um, Would you like to shuffle some papers and uh, give us the top story? Here we go. And now, from Norwich, it's the Quiz of the Week. Today's top prizes include this selection of domestic items. There's a sandwich toaster there, a coffee machine, a drinks dispenser, a tea maker, then a range of cookware in tangerine with saucepans, casseroles, plus that microwave oven and many other items. But now let's meet the man who asks the questions and pays out the money. Nicholas Parsons. You said I needed to edit that shorter. I don't think I could have edited that more horrifically than I did there. No, this is the music bed in the middle. If we're not going to talk over the music bed in the middle, um, you need to edit that a bit. That's another new set of prizes. Before the show, when I said pick a number from one to four, yes. that's what you were picking. I was. Uh, uh, that, so that was number four. That number was the four. version of Deal of the Century. If you picked number one, you'd have had that... Uh, Dinghy with the buoyancy aids. Uh, excellent. We're starting with a quiz show tonight. We're not. Well, ah. we sort of are. Tonight's uh, first item on Dale of the Century is a combined sanctioning body and race promoter responsible for three national series in the US, one each in Mexico and Canada, a continental series in Europe, eight US regional series and five iRacing series. This item also comes with a TV production and digital media company, a museum and a school. Yes, it's the news that the France family has asked investment bank Goldman Sachs to investigate sale options for majority stake in NASCAR. Good evening, Shay Adam. Good evening, Tim Gray. You had me scared there for a second. I thought I was going to have to fail at another one of your quizzes. (laughs) No, you just need to tell us what's going on uh, and why the France family want to sell NASCAR. Well, it really is a $64 million question. At least we think it's more than $64 million. We don't know how much NASCAR is worth because NASCAR is a privately traded company. It's a privately owned company, part of a publicly traded company that is International Speedway Corporation. And um, we don't really understand what's going on because things have been kept very, very hush-hush. But there was a company-wide memo sent out to all NASCAR employees basically saying, the France family is pursuing a few different options, but it's none of your business. Don't worry. Don't panic. No reason to uh, light things on fire and rampage just yet. Interesting thing was that the company-wide memo was not actually sent out with someone of the last name France. Um, what we know is that uh, it's not a very lucrative business anymore. It's not what it once was, NASCAR, if that is, because there's an aging demographic the TV ratings are falling like a stone. We're already down an average of 24% this year, and we are less than a quarter through the, or at a quarter way through the season so far. Um, and it, it's just hard when you're trying to sell a product that people have maybe nostalgic attachments to when some of the drivers that they've grown up cheering for aren't there anymore. In the last year, they've lost uh, Dale Jr., he's retired. 
They also saw Matt Kenseth leave the series, although now we know he's coming back. There's no more 24 with Jeff Gordon. There's no Danica Patrick. There's no Tony Stewart. There's no Carl Edwards. There's a bunch of these young guns that haven't really made a name for themselves yet. And so there's no horse to ride on. There's Jimmy Johnson, who is sort of the perennial loved or hated figure of NASCAR. The but, but they've spent 12 years trying to stop him from winning. Exactly. And he still did. <laughs> so it's really one of those situations where you're sort of, We've all been sitting here for years and years and years going, how is NASCAR going to save themselves from a fan base that's just not really there? And it's continued to go away. It's really, it's something sad to see. But the France family now potentially selling their share of NASCAR, it's a little bit uh, funny to see this happening right after Bernie finally let go of Formula One to see the parallels between the two. The France family, I can't see ever fully letting go of NASCAR, nor do I think they ever should. But in the last couple of weeks, they, we've just seen the acquisition of ARCA, which is one of the, the mm-hmm. sub-series, one of the latter series. Now that is a part of the NASCAR family as well. And just a few days ago, it was announced that the Camping World Truck Series is getting a new name for next year onwards. It'll be the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. So there's yeah, still we'll come, a lot we'll come of back to that story in a, a bit later, Shay. Um, we've still got quite a lot to run on this TV deal as well. This is worth $820 million a year. So there's a yeah. there's an income stream, certainly up until 2024. For sure. And that TV deal is split amongst the teams and ISC. It's It goes a long way between uh, NBC and Fox, both of them. But you still have the big sponsors exiting the series. Um, we lost. We, it's announced that Lowe's is going to be leaving the series in 2019. And when you're only paying or asked to pay $20 million a year, which is what Monster paid for the prime sponsorship this year, that's not really a good sign. $20 million used to be what it would take to sponsor a Jimmy Johnson for a year. Now you can get the whole series for that. And uh, you've also lost uh, sponsors like the Army and the Marines. They all used to sponsor yes. cars and uh, yeah, but they, they, they've all pulled out as well. Well, they were told they had to, though. That, that there was uh, quite a bit of controversy about that, wasn't it? Yeah, so. there was. And that was. That was something that it was hard to see, and it did leave a gap. But other smaller companies did come in. It's really more of the seeing... Budweiser leave the the big companies that have been legendary in NASCAR for so many years and Lowe's is very much one of those mm. uh, but it's it's hard to tell just how much of an impact the sponsors leaving versus losing the big drivers because as you said Tim that you know the TV numbers have been going down it's hard to sell something that people aren't watching can can I um can I ask a question here, Shit? So the new generation of of drivers, where's the next generation? The, the, the issue has been that there hasn't been that much churn down through the years. So all of a sudden, when one generation... We see this in, in all kinds of sports. When one generation of superstars... Um, it's, happened in, it's happening in MotoGP um, as well. Um, you've got Mark Marquez, but everybody else, you know, is like, mm. uh, And... You know, happens in soccer. You have a great generation, particularly good team. 
the new generation of, of stock car drivers then not up to snuff or has the sport changed you know what's what do you think is the issue here well for example take the daytona 500 winner from this year austin dillon he was long thought to be the driver that would be the next jeff gordon he was the driver who had the name he had everything going for him the grandson of richard childress he was going to be the guy to come in and people would cheer for him and rally behind him. Then you put him in a car that has the legend associated with it of driving the number three. That is a huge honor bestowed upon him. And people don't cheer for him. People weren't really excited when he won the Daytona 500. And you think, okay, if he can't do it, who can? Well, Kyle Larson is out there. He's another guy, super likable, super friendly and incredibly talented. But again, you're not finding people walking around with the number 42 tattooed on their body like mm. they were doing for the 88 for Junior, the 3 for the Intimidator, even the 4 for Harvick. I mean, when Harvick retires, there's going to be another gap. In the last two or three years, NASCAR um, has brought through a lot of young drivers and they're marketing these young drivers uh, using Snapchat and Instagram really well. The trouble is... NASCAR's demographic, the audience is not people who use Snapchat, Snapchat and Instagram. And Instagram. Yeah. I think that's exactly. a fair. I think that's a fair comment, Tim. Uh, to be honest, I, I'll also say something that I don't think is going to be overly controversial. The product itself um, has been tweaked. You mentioned, you know, how many times it's been changed over the last few years to try and stop Jimmy Johnson winning. I know you sort of only half kidding when you say that but all of these changes i don't think necessarily have been um, well received by the core audience and no, no, no definitely not the core audience don't like the changes um, but the problem is the core they're not audience... attracting a new audience by well, changing it well yeah. and you seldom do though tim in in my experience particularly in motorsport um i, I hate when I hear people talking about attracting a new audience, let's get a new audience. I always think, well, don't neglect the audience that you already have. You already have a resource there. And for most parts of motorsport, one of the best resources that there is is the evangelical nature of the people who like that particular form of, of racing. They want to be, We've said this about sports cars, haven't we? We said, we've said it about Formula One. That they want to be proud of something, Shay, and they want to be able to go in and stand next to the coffee or the water cooler or, you know, however they start their Monday morning, whether they're at work, at college or whatever. And they want yeah. to say, they want people to come up and say, oh, you're the guy who's the NASCAR guy. You're the big NASCAR supporter. You're the big sports guy, whatever it is. That race at the weekend was magnificent. And that gives them a bit of a... Um, a bit of a glow and they're able to sort of say yes but what you really should have been looking at is this and next weekend it's going to be at so and so those people are the influencers I hear this word influencers bandied around for people who put up videos on uh, social media sites the real influencers the real evangelists for sport and particularly for motorsport are the people who are seen by their peers as the guys or the girls who know about the sport and who they talk to on a one-to-one -one basis. Those are the real influences, and you should never forget that, any any Agreed. series. Agree completely. And what does Scott Atherton say 
when it's a beautiful day on a Saturday and we're on the grid, mm. come back tomorrow and bring, and bring a, friend. a friend. Yeah, it's, It is the best possible thing that you can do. The new format of NASCAR, and I say new with, with bunny ears around it because it's been around for a couple of years now, with the stage wins, nobody cares who wins stage one of the race. Mm. By the end of the day, they're only talking about the winner at the end. And I do appreciate that the stage wins help with the playoff system They come in later down the road, but the way that the new format is made where you race for basically a quarter of the race, then another quarter, and then a half, it's not having the desired effect to where people are really thrilled at the end of a stage because ultimately it doesn't affect who wins the race. No, it would affect it more if they didn't have a full course caution and I think that's the only yeah. thing that's that's wrong with that. Uh, let me do a few quick tweets because I forgot to do that at the top of the show because I was so taken by the deal of the century. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports <laughs> and, and especially the selection of household goods including some cookware in tangerine note you know what what brand that is exactly though, but you? no brand name was mentioned which no. i thought was fantastic hello to chris sugu and alexander orkin listening tonight rotation uh not in tonight jury performance of semi two uh, uh if rc racing isn't around to explain that to you i know exactly what that was um i was watching some of that last night here uh, in germany i suspect that's why rc racing nick damon that is uh, mm. isn't with us until uh, a little later on in the show yes Good point. Uh, Rob Jaina is a... It's the Eurovision Song Contest, by the way, if nobody knew. Caught on that. Uh, Rob Jaina catching up on the podcast. Loved the uh, spa coverage, he says, on RS3. It was great being there, too. Thank you for that. Uh, hello to Right Turn Lover. Uh, catching you live. This uh, Something's gone out into the German woods. Right, OK. Uh, partially catch you live, he said. Uh, and let me scroll down. Listening live, Rob Chalmers tonight. He said, uh, I've just lost it. There he is. Uh, so happy I'm almost on a par with the Delara customer parts manager. Is that too soon? Oof, I think it might be. Michael Denny, is it Wednesday already? Yes. Listening live tonight after a fun weekend watching the Milton Keynes 24-hour kart race. I hear there's another uh, 24-hour race this weekend. Yes, there is. Talk about that later on. There was another kart race last weekend as well, one at Wilton Mill, which we probably won't have time to talk about, but we might do. It's just up, up the road from where I normally am. Mm. Uh what else? Sarah Rigby uh, has made it home from working time, tuned into live. Excellent. With a cheeky bowl of chips. Oh, get you, Sarah. Uh, I've been one of your favourite places this evening. Uh, and uh, Alan Prosser says the easy way to fix NASCAR, put the race tool in charge of it. Job done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he could buy it. Yes. Uh, if you can't afford to buy NASCAR, mm. how about buying a bit of NASCAR history? Right, okay. This weekend, Richard Petty is auctioning some of his, his personal hat. collection. There is a hat there yeah. in Las Aww. Vegas. Uh, because he claims he's run out of space in his museum and his <sighs> kids, quote, don't want it, they have their own junk. See, that's, that's like my dad, isn't it, when we cleaned out the loft when my dad moved down. What are you going to... Dad, you can't throw that off. Away. I don't want it. If you want it, you have it. Um... You right. don't really want it, do you? Yeah, um... You just don't want to throw it away. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Uh, among the items on offer, a winner's trophy from the 1967 Southern 500. Oh, yes. Wow. That will go for around $150,000. 1974 wow. Dodge Charger. Yes. That's going to go for about $500,000. 1992 Pontiac. That was his final full season. 
right. the farewell mm-hmm. tour, mm-hmm. Uh, and a collection of old school reports. Uh, maybe I should get some of those and put them in the uh, small room downstairs. Actually, my school report isn't in there anymore. It's now been moved to the drawing room. But it would be nice to have some of Richard Petty's to go alongside mine. Maybe I should start collecting people's school reports. I think that's, that might be a start of something. <laughs> yes, let's move Good on part. to this. Oh, loud, loud. Loud. This is my song. Uh, they've uh, released a drawing of uh, where the Miami Formula One Grand Prix will go. What do you think of the track, Shay? Uh, I have not yet seen it. I'm going to the oh. Google, though, to try and find it. Shay, you're not going to be happy. It, it's, uh, it goes all the way over the bridge, then there's a hairpin, and then comes all the way back over the bridge. What the I like heck? that. Um, yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, but no, but... Yeah, no, not a fan. Not a fan of that. Um, oh, if I think you're that gonna would be have great. A, yeah, if you're going to have a race in Miami, have it on the, the street course that we know. And uh, also, how is that safe? That's, I think, imagine how high the catch fences would have to be. How many marshals oh. are going to stand on that bridge? None. None. <laughs> They'll have manatees. Manatees will be marshals. Dugongs and manatees. <laughs> That's what you need. Uh, oh it's, my goodness! It's across the bridge, around the back of uh, the Bayside Marketplace. For mm-hmm. those of you that know, past the Holiday Inn, which is, which yep. is nice. Which Always is nice. goes past the Holiday Inn. Yeah, past the Freedom Tower, round the back which of the American. Which I do like. Yeah, uh, and then round the back of the American Airlines Arena, and then back back out again to the Port of Miami. How long is it? How long is that, Tim? Do we know? Uh, nearly three miles, I think. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be quite long. It's going to. Problem is, that's going to be very fast over the bridge to, yes. to a very big stop. Yes. And you don't yeah. necessarily always have big runoffs on street area. I well, they have the know. option of not turning right and carrying straight on into a big runoff area, which is where the road goes. Yeah. Well. Mm. I, I kind of like it more if they just don't put like a tire bundle or anything at the end of the hairpin at, at the oh, end yeah, of the bridge. The, I, so I agree. You, just yeah, if you do keep going, you wind up in South Beach. Like, like on uh, on rock on the road course at Rockingham, where you come off at uh, Oval Turn One to the hairpin, on, going onto the infield. Yeah, you can just carry straight on if you outbreak yourself. <laughs> yeah, but you uh, yeah you're not supposed to drive around the. No, you you're not supposed to drive. In around practice and qualifying, uh, normally you can, and quite a few people who want to drive. I can't possibly name names here, but quite a lot of people who have wanted, always wanted to drive around an oval might have just missed their breaking point um, deliberately there and then to- <laughs> tooled around the back and then joined in and come straight back in. These days, there is another set of cones um, mm. at Oval Turn 2, so you have to do a U-turn before you get there. So is this official now, this Miami um, proposal? No, it's still a proposal. Yeah, it's it's the first look at a potential map for the F1 in downtown Miami, according to a city official. The problem that I'm seeing with this, John, is having driven around this section of Miami more than my fair share of times, it's not exactly smooth. <laughs> no, I was going to say the whole lot would have to be resurfaced. Yeah, um, very, very pothole-filled. Fun, funnily enough, somebody just today, oh, I just saw the tweet, uh, sh- tweeted what's left of the Baltimore track and it's a bit of painted curb at turn one Um, and I I find that quite sad if if you'd warned me I could of course have Baltimore music out no sorry about that Uh, Ken Russell uh, is the city commissioner Um, 
the um, improbably named. Uh, not that one, obviously. <laughs> uh, sh- let's move on, Tim, shall we? You listen to Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 18. It's May, uh, which means that uh, there's some early running going on for the Indy 500 and before that, uh, the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Uh, but there's a driver who won't be uh, taking part in the Indy 500, and that's Pietro Fittipaldi. We'll come on to why a little later. But who's uh, in line to replace him, Shay? Well, they just announced today, Tim, that Zachary Clemendamello will fill in for Pietro for the uh, GP that's taking place this weekend. That is on the street course where they go the wrong way around the oval. It's slightly discerning. Um, but we still don't know who's going to be in the seat for the 500. Clement DeMello has been running with the team uh, in the past. He, he's done a couple of races with them, including Barber Motorsport Park, where he's very impressive from two laps down trying to pass people and uh, make a show of it. But whether or not he would get the ride for the oval race when he doesn't really have a lot of oval experience, that's the big question. There are plenty of drivers out there with budget who would really really like that seat including drivers such as Sebastian Saavedra, uh, Mikhail Aloshin. All these drivers have a relation with Dale Coyne in the past so it wouldn't be completely out of the blue. Catherine Legg is a name I've seen tossed around as well. She's run the race with that team in the past and Dale Coyne who have uh, ties as well with a couple other female drivers in the past. I'm not going to say who but uh, Ryan Briscoe is another person who would be a very good sub, whether or not he would be able to run the Indy 500 this year due to his connections with Ford. That is a question. But uh, Alex Tagliani, there, there are a lot of drivers out there, Tim. It's going to be interesting. So that's who might be replacing Pietro Fittipaldi at the Indy 500. Uh, but now, and I realise we've done this rather the wrong way around, the reason why he's not going to be there, and that's because of an accident in qualifying at Spa on Saturday, uh, Friday, in fact it was, wasn't it? Very Friday nasty. and Saturday weekend. Johnny Palmer was commentating on that for us. Uh, but it wasn't until afterwards that we actually found out exactly what happened there. Yeah, both pretty obvious, legs though, wasn't it? fractured, unfortunately. Um, it could have been an awful lot worse, I suppose. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi was conversing with marshals, and I could tell that uh, after the crash that happened at Eau Rouge, and if he didn't catch the race, watching the replays of the car coming through, it looked to be on the right trajectory, and then all of a sudden the front wheels jumped about three foot to the left, and he was in the marbles and straight to the scene of the accident. Power steering failure. Right. It was, it was a steering failure. I didn't see it live, um, but I heard about it because um, I, I I'd been listening and then I had to turn you off. Sorry about that, Johnny, because I had a race to that do. all the time. Um, and uh, as soon as I saw it, uh, I thought, oh, he's got a steering arm brake or something. But the team afterwards, I think, said there'd been an issue with the power steering. Okay. And basically when it, when it went away, couldn't get it back. Um, what surprised me about that, and I'm sure it surprised many other people as well, I've seen the, 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 the social media, the, the front of the car actually didn't look too badly damaged. It looked like it stood up pretty well. When you look at uh, Harry Tinkler's accident in the race, that looked yeah. worse in terms of how the car finished up. And that car, I'm led to believe, by the way, that Ford GT is done. That's a chassis that will not be used again, yeah. which is, is actually causing them quite a problem. Uh, because the, I think there's only uh, the, there's a, a spare car in the States and there's a certain amount of of, of of spare parts. But we know, don't we, that we 
we know of someone who wanted to run a car in Am in in Le Mans and and Chip Ganassi Ford. Oh, with a Ford GT as a customer car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they weren't they weren't keen on on getting that to happen because of the fact that there was a limited amount of parts. Mm. And they, I'm not saying they'll be struggling, but there's a concern there. But what surprised me about Pietro's accident was that I mean he had a particularly bad break on his left leg, which required an operation, damage to his right leg as well. Um, you just you don't expect to see that anymore. No. No, but it's a it's a brand new car, the BR1. Obviously, it will have been through all the stringent crash tests that the FIA uh, have in place. But with a new car design, obviously, you're forever learning about how the thing's put together, but also how it deforms in a big accident like that. And I suppose you could say that Ford have had the benefit of uh, the big Stefan Mucha accident two years ago when he mm. went off in a similar place. And they can examine that car and make it stronger, if necessary, around the, the safety cell. It's about keeping the driver uh, as safe as possible, making sure that bits of suspension don't intrude in that safety cell. And, you know, sections of the car are designed to break away. Almost the fact that it still did look OK and not too damaged worries me a little bit because perhaps the shockwave ran through the whole of the car. So mm. it's a car that, you know, it, as I say, is a development to, well, as far as I know, is a development to the BR01. Correct. Um, and they've, you know... So it's had made, crash tests and all of that oh, sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, from, from its from its inception and uh, gone from being an LMP2 to an LMP1, so you're arriving at the scene even faster. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's concerning. But then again, you look at an, another accident, is Akian, uh, oh. in the... In the in the same car, the BR1 from SMP Racing, um, and you and I have found further evidence that that car did flip going over the top of, of, of Radion. Radion. Don't think it hit anything solid, and still there's a bit of a mystery because the, the 54 Ferrari was slow at the end of the Kemmel Straight on the yes. same lap as that uh, SMP car flipping, and we, we wondered whether the two may actually be involved. Um, but, but whatever happened... He just slowed down because he saw something happening in front of him. Yeah, possibly yes, in avoidance. It, it may have been to, to, to swerve away from the Ferrari because obviously you're arriving at Radion and through Rouge blind over the rise there and the last thing but you want to see is a slow car or a stopped car. But you don't you don't want ever to see cars going airborne. No, and, 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 and that's and why the, f- the dorsal fin's there, that's why the hole on the top of the wheel arches is there, that's not supposed to happen anymore. Well, that was to, that was from the sideways motion. Remember that leaf-type motion where they would go up and then just flip over like a leaf? What it appears has happened here, and it was interesting you should bring up that other car, is that either on its own or with some intervention from another car, mm. it's been flipped up in the air and it's gone straight up and over. It actually landed on its wheels, apparently. Yeah. And, and there's quite a lot of runoff on the right-hand side there because it's where the, the old pit lane, uh, the exit of the old pits, rather, comes out and then weaves its way back on to That's join right. on so it's not right at the exit of Radion. And uh, remarkably, um, the car lands on all four wheels and is acting apparently, um, all right. It seems so, yeah. Thank goodness. Cause, uh, but there are photographs on social media and around the place. And in fact, I retweeted a couple this morning when we were at the, the hotel having a very nice breakfast in the sunshine. Um, extraordinary. You just mm. don't want to say that. You don't want to say the underside of a car. No, but, no. but you know, as I say, uh, frontal damage on the BR1 
I'm not going to say questionable because it's probably a free catch on, on the Fittipaldi car, yeah. On the Fittipaldi car, but then you look at the BR1 in the SMP uh, camp, and it's gone through, you know, probably th- a full 360 degrees. Landed yes on its wheels, but uh, front and rear damage, and Matebos walks away. So maybe it's just a, a bad luck thing for Pietro. It's a very long race day for anybody who wanted it, uh, the results. The uh, the results weren't made fine I think till 1.35 in the morning and that was because of Rebellion who eventually lost a third place uh, yes correct and uh, the sister car in fact inherited that third place because they ran round the numbers one and three uh, together this was um, because of the stewards decision that said the skid block was uh, at 1.2 millimetres shy of where it should be uh, the this is the plank basically the bit of wood at the bottom of the car and i remember a radio message now i can't remember whether it was rebellion or another team that was saying please watch the plank basically yeah, take look care of the, the plank, look yeah. after the plank so and curb strikes can wear it down running wide um and also Eau Rouge. I mean, there's massive sparks from every car and scrape marks on the tarmac. It's an absolute as well. You know, the, the, well, there, there is was... a right to appeal, but part of me thinks, because there was an Audi that was disqualified from a Silverstone WC Correct. race start of 2015 or 16, maybe? Yeah. 15, I think it was. And they appealed it. And like you say, it's a matter of fact. It's a measurement. It's not the right measurement. It should be 20 mils and you're 1.2 millimetres short in Rebellion's case. Yeah. The only way that you can really appeal that is if the measurement has been, you feel the measurement has been done in, incorrectly or in the manner in which the car's been sitting when it was uh, when it was there was done incorrectly. Uh, and uh, as, as far as manner's concerned, by the way, um, nothing more to say about that. We've heard no more about the Ginettas and the manner, their sponsors. So we're going to leave that to one side, leave Graham. Uh, Loudon and the and the rest of the team to, to sort that out. Suffice to say that the comment came from Lawrence Tomlinson at the end of Saturday, and I think throughout Graham and John said no comment. The, the, very interesting from from Ginetta. The one thing I will say, I thought their press release was really interesting. Got right at the nub, and a lot of people immediately went on the attack and started blaming blaming Manor, and I thought that was really unfair. And when the manufacturer whose cars you're trying to run completely absolves you, the team, and spoke about John and Graham's team uh, in glowing terms, then I think everybody else has got to take that and just say, oh, OK, let's move on. Mm. Let's hope it's resolved. Let's hope that at Le Mans, it'll be KCMG and JT car, isn't it? The next one down There's on the list. Spirit of Race. Spirit of Race, thank you. Well remembered. Yeah. Um, that will be the next two if that can't be resolved all kinds of horror stories uh, and people seeing that oh because they didn't race there's um uh that they can't have their Le Mans entry and that's clearly not the case uh tim more on that uh there has been some uh, more developments uh, relating to the uh, company that sponsors that team yeah uh, which is an energy company isn't it yes yeah, cefc it's uh, the uh Baby, I suppose, of uh, a very young tycoon called Yi Jian Ming, who, according to the uh, South China Morning Post, ha- is lying low but has not been arrested yet. Uh, he is wanted in both China and the Czech Republic on uh, for questioning on various issues. Uh, and yesterday, 
uh, the Chinese Stock Exchange issued a note threatening to delist his company. Okay, let's leave that right there and uh, keep an eye on the... It's amazing what you can find out from the financial pages sometimes. It is. Uh, as we heard earlier on with Shay. Yeah, well, uh, yes, exactly, yes. Moving on to uh, someone else. Uh, who is Andy Street, uh, Johnny? Andy Street yes. um, is when you're trying to look for somewhere and it, that road takes you straight to it. That's no. an Andy Street, isn't it? Uh, it's a like a shortcut. Like a shortcut, yeah. is that what you're saying? Correct. Andy Street is going all the way around know. the ring road. Andy Street is your know. mayor, Johnny. Is it? Yes. Is he? Is yes. it? <laughs> is it an elected mayor in Birmingham? You mean the mayor of Birmingham? Mayor of the West Midlands. Oh, right. Oh, really? Okay. I was about to say, I don't live in Birmingham, but I do definitely do live, live in the, in the West, West Midlands. Midlands. So I, I have no defence to this at all. No. Yes. Andy Street. What an appropriate name, given, I think, where you're going with this, Tim. He used to run John Lewis. What, in Birmingham? No, globally. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Oh, well, that's perfectly that's that's perfect credentials for being a, a mayor, obviously. Absolutely, uh, but uh, in his manifesto before last May's election, mm. uh, he said he wanted to bring the Birmingham Super Free back. Oh, and uh, which ran five for those for those of you who are very young or have short memories ran for five glorious seasons. Right, right, glorious up events. until nineteen ninety. Uh, Joe Bradley went to three of those, I think. Three super pre, yeah. He, he's held up three fingers behind me, so probably. Uh, so he says that they're now in advanced stages to bring uh, racing back to the streets of Birmingham. He says uh, we are eager for two main reasons. First, it means we can showcase to the world the changing face of Birmingham city centre, which has seen an unprecedented investment in recent years. Like mm. many Brummies, I remember the original super pre fondly. Yes. Simon Taylor saying, yes, it is a Union Jack that will start them off and they're away at the first race. Uh, secondly, it was live on ITV, wasn't it? All of it was live on ITV yeah. in most regions. Uh, secondly, <laughs> and perhaps more importantly, it showcases our region's position as a world leader in next generation automotive technologies. So I much of the engineering that goes into the cars already used in Formula E comes from the West Midlands. It makes perfect sense we should be hosting this event. What's interesting to me about this is I've heard those words several times on several... In fact, the first thing that I heard when I got into the car and drove straight into a traffic jam on the uh, M25 when I got off the plane on Tuesday morning were those very words, although not spoken by Mr Street because he hasn't been making himself available for... Oh, he hadn't been making himself available for any uh, interviews. So they had one of the original guys who put the concept together for the Super Pre, who then wasn't allowed to run it, despite the fact he'd had the idea in the first place. And Sam Bird, who um, is second in the championship for Formula E uh, at the moment, that's who they had on the BBC Today programme on, on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. It's a shame we didn't have um, the responsible adult with us, actually, because um, she was involved in trying to resurrect the Birmingham Super Well, the good Pro. news is that she's at Hindhoff Towers right. and we do have her joining us on the line now. Good evening, responsible adult. Good evening, everybody. Oh, hello. Hello. Uh, Hotel's so fabulous, thank you. <laughs> that was Aston Martin. Is it the same uh-huh. one as last year? Yes. Yeah, uh, very good. So, Eve, you've tried to resurrect the Birmingham Super Pro in your time, haven't you? Yes, we have. Um, when I was at Showplace, which became a um, a division of IMG, we had quite extensive 
conversations, which we then gave up on and went and spoke to Liverpool instead. Um, but because it kept coming up and people kept running the story. But, um, you know, in those days, the issue was to do with um, really the, the circuit had gone. So you would have had to get a, a new circuit passed. And the law at that point made it next to impossible. So every time somebody trotted out that story, I just shrugged and said, hey, ho, that isn't going to happen. The law has changed so that it wouldn't have to be um, the subject of an act of parliament. Um, that was about speed limits and and the... And the um Suspension, suspension of the road traffic act and things like that correct and uh, and we had we had a first road rally um a couple of weekends ago yeah. didn't we we had some of our listeners yeah um down on the south coast tim wasn't it essex okay um so that that has changed yeah. now so they'd have to they'd have to have a new course because the old course doesn't exist in fact somewhere in our archives i have uh, a copy of the original original draftsman's version of the track on proper thick thick draftsman's paper including the act of parliament the road network still does exist um and certainly the, the dual carriageway up belgrave middleway which they used to go wrong way up the hill to the roundabout then go anti-clockwise around the roundabout back down the hill past the mosque mm. you can still turn right into sherlock street as well but the problem is all that area around the chinese court has been now redeveloped and it's not wide enough to run a racetrack through there. It's pedestrianised some it's of that now, isn't it? I don't think it is, actually. Oh, OK, I thought but, that was one but, of the issues. But the other uh, issue is... Some of it is. So, well, maybe a short section of road. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's around Birmingham Hippodrome as well, which is um, an area I know reasonably well. But the problem is, when you get back onto Bristol Street, I don't think there's room for a pit lane anymore, because Bristol Street was the home of, of a pit lane. Bristol Street Motors. The last time this was discussed, Trevor from Showplace and I drove round Birmingham to see what bits were left and what bits weren't and there was a downhill section that was completely completely pedestrianised yeah. and you're right about there not being space for the pits because that was one of the conversations that we had Yeah. So Johnny, given your local knowledge, what route would you not map around there. Birmingham for a circuit of about 1.8 miles? Well, one of the things about the original area, while Johnny thinks about that, I'm going to buy you some time, Chippy is the area that, that the, the, the Super Prix was, was in, mm. one of the reasons it worked was because there was a road network around it that meant that those streets could be bypassed with a relatively minimal effect on the local populace. But, yeah. the, but, but you've just said it, it's been redeveloped, and a lot of the open areas aren't open anymore. There's stuff on it, and it, you know they, it's encroached onto that. Um, but I think it was, it, you know, in the late, in the mid to late 80s, it was an area of development Correct. and, uh, you know, fairly run down in places. And Birmingham in that area has seen a lot of growth. So don't want to decry that necessarily. Mm. Um, I'd kind of want to include the Belgrave Middleway for historic purposes. Of course you would. So then you want to go on to somewhere like uh, Ladywood Middleway, which is the continuation of the ring road. But then there's a the danger of it just being two parallel straights, effectively, up to the next round. Like Avos. And yeah. And, and like a lot of other Miami, like we were talking about earlier with uh, Shea. With Shea, yes. That's not the most inspiring, is it? So, I mean, you could just run it around Birmingham wheels. That's a quarter mile oval. Great for racing. No, no, you couldn't. I'm joking. Um, you've got... Formula 8 don't do an oval, mate. You might have hit on something there. There you go. Needs some development. They've got a great karting track next door as well. Might be a bit Mickey Mouse for Formula E. 
but it's a superb outside circuit. Uh, you've got Cannon Hill Park. You've is got available and not pedestrianised. No. The problem with Broad Street is they've now put these um, rather large paving slabs in the middle, yeah. which are designed to be straddled by emergency vehicles, but then so to prevent overtaking. Chicane. And the other thing is, give that about two years, and there'll be trams running down Broad Street all the way down to the Five Ways Island. So unless you want to make it, because uh, there've been some racing. <laughs> on roads with tram lines that yes. could be interesting too may I raise another concern here though right. and mm-hmm. that's about the cost of city circuits and the fact that in most places uh, Formula E has cost the city an awful lot of money and I'm not sure Birmingham has that kind of well, money or that kind of political will well go back to the original Super Prix why did it stop um, Claire Short mm. and money and the the money was about a couple of million quid. It would be significantly more than that now. And and uh, over five years, it lost I think two million quid. Uh, not way, two million quid a year, two million quid. And the recent Toronto event for Formula E has a thirty million Canadian dollar hole still in its budget that the council have been left holding. So we're we're talking. See, all right, I don't inflation etc but we're talking significantly larger amount of monies that mr street andy street um lovely idea though it is but honestly in this political climate your you know your his constituency johnny yes um how hard would it be to get them to well yes i know me too me too but i never think that the public purse should should no um should subsidize what I want to see, it's like it shouldn't subsidise art. People want to go and see art or the ballet or opera, stuff like that. They should play the going rate for it. Nobody subsidises me to go and watch a rubbish football team <laughs> or, to go, or to go and watch, uh, you know, not from the public purse, to go and watch motor racing. I never think it should be subsidised from the public purse. One assumes they'd have to find sponsorship, but but you, th- somebody has to underwrite it. Um, the only good news is you won't have to do battle with... Claire Short, because it won't be relevant. But if anybody no. wants to laugh, do go and read the Hansard um, from that period, because it is hilarious. Hansard is the uh, the record of, of Parliament. Johnny, you've had a look now. Um, where do you think where do you think this, the straight? You've you've got to go you've got to go down the original start finish straight. I think. Well, the start finish straight was Bristol Street, yeah. and you might struggle to do that these days. But Belgrave Middleway is is definitely an opportunity. Or so you still up go, to the roundabout. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but right. yeah, I mean. I'm just thinking back to Battersea Park, which was the last British rounds of Formula E, wasn't it? And uh, what's to stop you doing it in some kind of parkland area? I think Cannon Hill Park may have been looked at, which is opposite Edgebaston Cricket Ground. There are other park areas too in Birmingham, so you could do it in a slightly greener area. Mm. Um, what if you did it up by uh, Aston University and used a section of the Aston Expressway and then went round the university and the uh, Doug Ellis Sports Centre? Around by Villa Park. Yeah. The problem with that is you cannot shut off Aston Expressway, which is basically the only in and out route of the city, uh, for a whole weekend or you know part. Well, week no, it'd be weekend. more than that. It would be more than that. That's because that's the issue. It's never just when you're running on it. You've got to do all the infrastructure works, yeah. and that would have to be done during a working week over the period of probably a couple of weeks to set it up, and a couple of weeks to take it down. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the I mean you know that's the issue when we're talking about finance. It's not about the one day, and and Formula E will move away from one day. They will do two days. 
mm. they, I think they have to almost do two days because the cost of setting up the infrastructure for any, and this is not a pop at Formula E, this is street racing anywhere other than possibly Monaco where it it's part, you know, almost part of the infrastructure all year round. But, you know, there's there's hardly anywhere that you can do it cheaply. And that is the issue with with Formula E, not because it's Formula E, not because it's electric, because the infrastructure costs are so high. I mean, you must have looked at that, Eve, when when you guys were looking at it. And, and without significant, presumably without significant underwriting from the local government saying, well, we've got workers that can do that, we've got machines that can move the concrete blocks, etc., etc., then it's just not financially viable unless you've got a stonking great um, sponsor to do it. Yeah, and the problem with that is that the point at which you start, you have to put in the seed money. So you may or may not have a sponsor when you start the process, which means you're underwriting the cost, which means if you don't then find a sponsor to cover the cost, you're in a great big hole. And the, the rate payers and the council taxpayers of, of Birmingham... The only other way to do it would be in another development area because mm. the old Curzon Street station's been turned in the HS2 Very uh, good. place and around Think Tank, uh, there, there is That's opportunity right in to the city centre, though, isn't it? It's right in the city centre. I mean, if you come out of if you come out of New Street Station on the train towards Coventry, uh, look to your left, and all of that is sort of open wasteland. You could almost design your own track there to make sure that it, you know it, it would fit in with the rest of everyday life through the other 50 years of the 50 um, weeks of the year. And what are the optics? I mean, I'm thinking about how the, What's the street, street race at Azerbaijan looked, which is stunning. Mm. And you know, what, but you don't want to be driving. It's all very well doing it in an area that's being developed, but you don't want to be driving around a wasteland. No, you don't. Well, because you then haven't done the job. You've well, done the opposite. Well, remember what happened in the early days of Long Beach. <laughs> um, because of the sort of area that that it was in, all of the hmm. shops um, were covered up <laughs> in the background. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Birmingham. You have to go past Selfridges then, that uh, building with the big silver discs on the side. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. That was Looks one of great. the things we tried to basically sell. Uh, Birmingham Super Prix, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, thanks for joining us, Responsible Adult. Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. And good evening, Nick Damon. Hello. That was an introduction and a half. Yes. I'm going to rock you from the Delta, the DMZ. No time Dangley, for that, Dangley. John. Uh, uh, can you've I, got can a quick I, tweet, haven't no, you? Yes, ben? quickly. I... I, I this from Frankie Castellacci about that uh, flip at the top of Radion. He says, uh, Spa was great, but unfortunately we had a technical issue with the car whilst we were in P3. I was lucky he was driving the Ferrari. I was lucky when my car switched off, we were already on top of Eau Rouge. I managed to pull on the right side of the straight. Therefore, I had nothing to do with LMP crash. So that BR1 going airborne, nothing to do with clipping the Ferrari. Different incident. Oh, not not uh, linked. So good morning, Vietnam. We uh, spoke earlier about the uh, route for the Miami Grand Prix. Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh City is another uh, possible Formula One venue next season. And David Coulthard has driven a Red Bull Formula <sighs> One car in Ho Chi Minh City. <laughs> well, let's let's hope they prepare the land a bit better and build the track a bit slower than they did at Austin, shall we? And then we perhaps it won't be a, a wobble board in three years. He he did. Uh, Three runs on a 650-metre course laid out on Wienco Tai Street. Right. Uh, splitting oh, his well. efforts. My Vietnamese pronunciation. I hope I've got that right. 
because well, it's not spelled like that. We just had a walking Birmingham A to Z from Johnny. We, we should really know that. We can, oh, you mean you turn left at the at the duck shop and, and go past the place making ornamental urns or something? So he did one in daylight, one in twilight, and one under floodlights. And there was heavy rain. And uh, of course there was. Coulthard said it feels really somewhat emotional when you bring a Formula One car to a new country. That's right. not a new country. It's been there for quite a while. I, yeah. I know I know David very well. I first met him in 1996. And from the one thing that then that used to make David feel emotional, I'm pretty sure is the same thing that makes David feel emotional, which is what's called you know, a large check. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, trust did, me, did, I've did... got a number of stories about that. He did, a, he did one of the... No time to go seen. into that, John. Okay. Uh, On the helipad. We... <laughs> Uh, you, I wasn't here last week, but you and Nick did discuss the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We did, uh, but apparently it wasn't over because Williams launched an appeal uh, yes. this week, uh, which Charlie Whiting has rejected. Yes, they've launched an appeal over inconsistent um, decision making, and our accident the same as your accident, where you didn't get as much of a, of a penalty as we did. It was um, odd, I think. Uh, Really, it was only like they're only protesting against a three-place penalty, but they did—they were protesting against uh, Fernando Alonso, uh, who was having the best race of his life. TM, um, and uh, he shouldn't have been allowed to bring the car back, apparently, uh, with no wheels on it, Correct. rather than being the most mild piece of driving ever. TM. Uh, why is everything Marcus Ericsson's fault? I, I, there's just too many options on that one. Is, he, is his longbow misfired? I don't know. Uh, there's been a bit of a copy and paste cock-up at the FIA. <laughs> oh, I, yes. I quote, they, yes, the stewards yes, examined video evidence. The driver of the 35 drove into the back of car 11. The stewards determined that the driver of car 9 was wholly to blame for the collision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's they, fantastic. They, they, they had a, then they mentioned a number that's been retired, so that went well. Uh, who is Jörg Zander? Um, he is well. He's a he's a, uh, a engineer and designer, a man who worked for Sauber and Audi and Sauber again, and now he's working for um, nobody, uh, no one, no one. Yes. Very short note from Sauber this week. Jörg Zander no longer works for the team. We would like to thank him for his efforts. Uh, am I allowed to say what the reason is? Or are we not going to do that? Uh, you can say what the Swiss new, what, newspaper I'll, Blick, yeah. which is very close to uh, Sauber, has suggested his departure might be related to. Too fond of a sherbet. Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay, uh, let's on. play another jingle. Oh! The Crown Court. You're not going to have too much of it. Uh, a Delhi court on Tuesday issued fresh oh, directions God. to attach the properties of businessman Vijay Malia, who was declared a proclaimed offender for evading summons in a money laundering case related to Foreign Exchange Regulation Act violations. Yes. So basically, they, they, they're now trying to what, do him in his absence because they can't extradite him? Uh, they're still trying. Um... I just really like the music. Yeah, I'm guessing we the music. Uh, I can make it my ringtone. The court also held that Mali's plea that he wanted to return to India but was incapacitated to travel because his passport had been revoked by the Indian authorities was malified and abuse of the process of the law. Oh, I love India. Indian use some fantastic words. When you read Indian right. newspapers, they have a fantastic version of English. It's so prosaic. It's amazing. Lovely. 
Lovely. Um, I love Malafy. Brilliant. I'm, I'm going to, I, literally, I'm going to try and throw that into three conversations tomorrow, which may confuse the Germans who I'm with. <laughs> uh, the summons was issued in connection with the purported payment of $200,000 to a British firm for displaying the Kingfisher logo during the Formula One World Championships uh, and in some European countries in 1996, 1997 and 1998. It claimed that the money was purportedly paid without prior approval of the Is RBI. That yes. Mm. In violation of the FERA norms... Uh, Mali was summoned on four occasions for questioning in connection with the contract signed in December 1995 with Benetton for the promotion of the Kingfisher brand abroad. Malia, who's now been in the UK since March 2016, is also wanted in India for Kingfisher Airlines default on loans worth nearly a billion pounds and some other matters. Some other matters. The billion pound. Yeah, it, it, apparently, also he hasn't paid his TV license, but they might let that one go where they get the billion pounds back. I want to know why they had the court in a deli and not in a courtroom. I mean, well, like, was there people buying salami and that around them at the time? You know, that no, it's it in, it's in India. It's a new deli. Ah, oh, right, very good. <laughs> they have those tiffin boxes, don't they? Moving on. Uh, guess which Grand Prix I'm talking about. Prosecutors are reportedly investigating suspected fraud, tax evasion and money laundering related to the Formula One race at... Singapore. No, we've mentioned money laundering and there's only Russia. one... There's only one... Well, no, good point. There are there's two countries. One, one country in, in Italy, there's there's One country in Italy. Uh, there's only one in Monza where money laundering has been so popular. Uh, you know, like love and marriage, money laundering F1, they go together. In, in that country. The La Repubblica newspaper reports that the authorities suspect tax evasion to the tune of €80 million Euro relating to sponsorships by dozens of Italian and international that, companies. It's like €80 million Euro and £70 million, pounds, the amount of money they needed from the Italian government to bail them out. Mm. Well, it was close to that, wasn't it? Uh, A it, coincidence, I think not. Sponsorship invoices were falsified and 82 people are under the investigator's microscope. It is, claimed that, crowded. it is claimed that former F1 Supremo Bernie Eccleston was questioned over the matter, as was Jean I don't Totes. Know I, don't know. I, just, I just thought they were selling pasta. I had no small idea. small enough to fit under a microscope. Uh, as were FIA President Jean Tote and uh, his son Nicolas Tote. All three of those could fit under a microscope quite easily, actually. Yes. They asked Max Mosey, they banged his head. And he, and he really enjoyed it. Stop before. it. <laughs> didn't get in quick enough. Uh, well, it depends what you were Leave trying to it. achieve there. Uh, <laughs> Barcelona this weekend. Very briefly, yes. uh, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to bring massive upgrades. Everyone thinks it's going to change the world. It's not. And Mercedes will win. Uh, no. Or Ooh, I don't know. I think the problem is qualifying, qualifying very, very important. Um, and Mercedes the, will win. The interesting thing to remember is that normally Barcelona is a very high deg, deg circuit and the tyres go off very quickly, but they had, a re, had the whole thing resurfaced over the winter and it may be less heavy on tyres. Um, it is just about possible to overtake now um, with the extension of the uh, DRS zone for the whole of the main straight, but it's still very difficult and I would expect it to be not the most spectacular Sunday, uh, unlike the previous three Sundays we've had. If you happen to be in Barcelona this weekend and you have a big pile of spare euro, then you could be one of the first to experience a new F1X2. Yes, is that, is that now, new this the is the seater? new Formula 1 experience two-seater car, which replaces the 20-year-old Tyrrell that's been used <laughs> up until now. 
The front and rear wings and barge boards conform to current F1 technical regulations. It has a refined bulkhead to give the passenger a better view of the helmet of the driver in front. It feels uh, like it's the same car. It's been designed by Mike Gascoigne, mm. uh, who He's describes it as an one. evolution of a 20-year-old Tyrrell. <laughs> Well, it's good to know that I thought you said we years, didn't have a pointless press release this week. Since, since Ken passed on, his uh, his team is still alive and well and taking part in Grand Prix. Uh, indeed. Uh, more from Nick Damon in a moment. Please report any unattended bags to a member of... Oh, hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is Midweek Motorsport and still to come. Uh, live from the Aston Martin Lounge here at the Nürburgring for the Zurich ADSC 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Uh, we'll be talking about that race in the second half of this evening's programme. Also, uh, our other live event, endurance event this uh, weekend, uh, sees part of our team going to Italy. More on that in a wee while as well. Uh, plus, well, a bit more of Nick Damon. I suppose we'll have to, really, as he's here. Yeah, okay. Keep your tweets coming in. Add spec your team. No, we really want to hear lots more from Nick. You can never have enough from Nick. And he's dragged himself away for the Eurovision Song Contest semi-finals just to be on Midweek Motorsport on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Hour two starts next. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. So welcome back in the second hour to Nick Damon. Hello, everybody. I'm back. It's like you've hardly been away, given that we spoke to you like a minute and 15 seconds ago. A long minute and 15 seconds, though. Anytime you're not speaking, you think it's a long time, don't you? I can't tell a lie. (laughs) Yes, I know. Uh, We've done Formula One, so it must be two wheels, is it, Tim? Onto two wheels, and uh, British Superbikes were at Alton oh. Park were on they? Bank oh, Holiday God. Monday. <laughs> I thought we'd make MotoGP. The traditional... But you first, should we'll know. do MotoGP, shall we? Nick, you so should... How you long have you been on this programme to know that Tim is likely, as likely, to do what you expect as an unlikely thing? From unlikely land, yes. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. Right. Traditional bank holiday, Monday fair, beautiful sunshine, Alton Park, British superbikes. You should have known that. Really. Yes, okay. Lovely sunny weather. Mm. Mm. And, and, and we'll do it, because the man who's much older than we thought, we found out last week, um, yes. managed to win both races. Yeah. Yes. Leon the the old men are coming back, aren't they? Well, that, well, given the fact I still think he's like 19, he's what, 30 something or other um yes so he's won them both with the kawasaki so and and more than that leapt leapt to the top of the standings yes <laughs> was that it <laughs> you're you going to tell us something about what happened in the races i'd have no. a big job doing that unless i became psychic over the last 20 minutes he wasn't you at Alton Park. you want you said to motorbike so basically i thought it must be motogp yes Yes, because... but more, honestly, MotoGP at um, where were they? Was they were Spanish in Spain, Grand obviously, John. <sighs> yes, because if it's... they haven't been there for a while. Yeah, for, for a race. Well, it was actual Spanish Grand Prix as well. It, it was a bit boring, though, wasn't it? Oh, how can you call it boring? 
How can you call it boring when you when, look, look? We managed to get what 15 minutes out of two teammates taking themselves out last week, and they got, you had two teammates taking out someone else as well. There's three of them falling off, no discernible reason in this race. Yeah, I, I'll give Mark Marquez his due, even when he's riding away from the field, he's still quite exciting, isn't he? He did all right. He didn't. He managed to uh, put his elbow down and fall off a couple of times, but the, the, all the action happened, happened behind him. You mean put his elbow down and not fall off a couple of times? Well, yeah, yeah, I've had my elbow down, followed by my shoulder, my head, my back, my whole shoulder, my head, my back, uh, the words ouch and an insurance claim. I, uh, I once got my elbow, I've got an, still on that suit that you've seen me not able to get into anymore. On that, yeah. on those leathers, I still too got. Too small for it now. Yeah, hanging on me they are, Tim. Yes, exactly. Um, on my right elbow, there is an orange mark where I clipped. You know, one of those tiny little sort of three and a half, four inch marker cones. I yeah. actually clipped one of those with an elbow on a um, Yamaha 400, I think it was. Nine, Mm. That's when I did a, a set of knee sliders in one afternoon. It's great fun. So basically, MotoGP, uh, Cal Crutchlow took pole and Danny Pedrosa was second. And uh, they drove off into the sunset and finished first and second in the race, did they? No, no. Cal no. Crutchlow, um, who is the champion of the uh, win it or bin it uh, world of, mo- of motorcycle racing, um, took pole and was kind of very much saying, right, this means I now need to get the works ride from uh, Honda that still may well be up for grabs if Pedroza is let go this year, who can tell. Um, uh, then he did make a brilliant start, was the drop back and then fell off in a kind of a very slow way, uh, I think turn one. So he ruined his That's chances. That's sort of falling off that I like. What, slow falling off? <laughs> yeah, because it's <laughs> often less painful than fast falling off. Well, no, you say, you say that, but, but Mark Marquez fell off three times uh, during the weekend. And and I, I think I've, I've postulated this before, but I believe that the only reason Mark Marquez is going to become probably the winningest, not a real word, uh, rider of More all successful time is because terms. of airbag suits. Because without yes. airbag suits... His career would be over through multiple injuries. Agreed. Um, it nearly was but, at the end of Moto2, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, basically, he because of the new, the new suit, which is great, and I don't, want, I don't want to see anyone getting injured, by the way, no, no. Um, it now means you can fall off with relative you know, alacrity. If you're, fall, if you're, if you're, if you're putting it down yourself now, um, you're pretty much guaranteed not to hurt yourself. Um, whereas, obviously, if you have a high sight, it's still going to hurt. But even so, with the, with the padding, it's, it's reduced. It's the, the, the injuries now... Does, does the airbag much... deploy as you're in the air? Yes, yes it does. So it, it cushions it's got, you. It's got sensors on it, and where it sees an accelerometer in the wrong direction, it, it goes off in about five thousandths of a second. Oh, wow. So, uh, and, of course, it's reusable. You just you just empty it and then put a new gas canister in, and off you go again. So you can still hurt yourself. Like really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't well, know that. I thought once it had gone, you had to bin the suit. <laughs> No, 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 just squeeze it all out again and stick a new canister in. As it were. Yeah. Um, I bet they have you, people who do that for them. I'm sure you had the Dionese squeezy and the Alpenstar squeezy and the RST squeezy and other levers are available. Um, but, you know, just so you can hate yourself, obviously we, we see that it tends to be hand, wrists, hands and collarbones from the actual landing, which of course is a shock injury. But the, the rest mm. of the things we used to afflict people, it's um, very, very rare now, which is great. But it does mean that the style of riding, which in many ways... Mark Marquez has adopted a style of riding which is similar to the way um, racing drivers, F1 drivers, attack you know the first couple of sets of practice. They'll keep pushing, pushing, pushing until they fall off 
this track or spin and then rein it back five percent uh and you know, you, you know the amount of incidents you see during uh practice sessions you obviously you don't see during the race it's because they've they've found the limit and of course finding the limit in a, in a car is quite safe finding the limit in a motorcycle is always very dangerous but now if you're doing it the mark marquez way you'll find the limit in a, almost in a control in a controlled fashion and you go slightly over you just jump off the bike um yeah send the fairing bill to honda who don't mind paying for it and uh often just, just literally walk away again with nary a scratch nor bruise but anyway well, um, well their, their driver in the style of what's the fastest bike in the world one that's not yours exactly that is true um uh and then i think marcus was actually fourth in qualifying um wasn't particularly good but he found race pace and uh, got into the lead of about four or five laps, and then began to pull away from the uh, surprise, surprise early leader, Jorge Lorenzo, who does like uh, the track at uh, mm. uh, Jerez. And so far, I think prior to this point, the first three races of the year scored, I think, three points or five points, and was in second. And then Andrea Dovidiso, who was the leader of the uh, championship, came up behind him and couldn't get past him. And then there was little Danny Pedrosa um, there as well. And effectively i think finally i think Dovidiso did get past overbraked himself came back and in avoiding him uh, lorenzo was offline and they both completely missed the fact that that uh, was doing a rather clever thing actually going around the corner on the racing line which apparently is a good idea uh and lorenzo what, in, a predi- on- in a predictable and quick way well, yes, yes, he did. He came. He was just doing what he's supposed to, and he and Lorenzo came back on the line. I mean, it was it wasn't you no know, premeditated. He, he had a bit of an. He was trying to avoid a coming together with his teammate, and he unfortunately clipped uh, Pedroza, who obviously that was Pedroza went down and flew in the air like a kind of a little kind of tiny beetle, which he always looks like when he's flying in the air. Uh, <laughs> and uh, his bike then fell from under him. That took out Lorenzo's bike, and the other two bikes then took out uh, Davies's bike, and uh, all three of them ended up in the gravel. And um, the net result was that um, smiling through into second place, m- very surprised indeed, was Johan Zarco, who just went from uh, into, yeah, from fifth where to was, second. Where was Valle in all this? Uh, he was having a terrible weekend, as was the whole of the uh, uh, Movistar Works Yamaha team. He ended up finishing fifth, a long way off the pace. Well, wow, with all eight, those people but... falling out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, four, with wow. four people falling out who, should have, who would have been ahead of him, if you include Cal Cotcho. And Maverick Finales, his teammate, was back in seventh. So, um, yeah, once again, Yamaha are all at sea. Was that uh, a track they... thing or a particular track thing with the Yam or... Been, they've been lost since about halfway through last season and they haven't really managed to get it back. Um, Do they so... need worse... Can I, uh, this, uh, uh, this is a, a serious question. Do Yamaha need worse riders? Because Valle and Maverick as well actually can ride bad bikes rather better than they should be doing. They need someone, the engineering team, to work out what the hell's going wrong with the tyres. And, and the tyres, always, is, is the problem mm. they're having. So... Um, uh, they can't get them to work. They can't get them to last, and it's all, um, but effectively, really, uh, regardless of whether they've got you know the best, the worst, the most intermediate riders on their their bikes, they aren't going to win anything because they haven't got a bike they can at the moment, and they have a miracle from some sort of testing change. They, they can roll up to a track and have any confidence they're going to be in the front with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the net, net result of all this um, uh, car, uh, carnage was he actually had Andre Iannone, who's just been sacked by Suzuki. Um, <laughs> Uh, coming third, uh, Daniel Petrucci, who wants to try and get Lorenzo's ride because it's very likely Lorenzo will be replacing him only at Suzuki for a large amount of money because no one else can pay him a large amount of money when he has literally been trolling around the back oh, or yeah. in the gravel. That's all he's done for two years. Um, you know, however bad, however bad you thought um, 
Rossi's two years at, yeah, at Ducati were. At least, he, at least he was rubbish when the car, when the bike was completely uncompetitive. You know, um, Lorenzo's being rubbish when the bike's actually all right. So um, I'm not quite sure how you can make a motorcycle so different that, that, that people can't get on with it. But um, you know, it has been the it has caught out every single rider apart from Casey Stoner and to a lesser extent uh, to Vivioso in the what was it 11? No, more than that, 14 years since they came back. Jack Miller in the top 10 at 8, Petrucci 9th, Tito Rabat 10th. Who else was really good in Ducati right the earlier? The little tiny guy who raced in GT3 race in Abu Dhabi. What's his name? Oh, sorry, that was that's the standings I'm looking at there. I'm looking at the wrong things. Go oh, on, Cameron. No, I was trying, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I've got the wrong name in my head and I can't get the right name in there instead. I've got the face of the wrong name. It's a nightmare. Okay. <laughs> Just carry on. His face instead. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So it's um, okay. Don't. All right. Um, but yes. Yeah, so there's, there is already a bit of a toing and froing. Bradley Smith's been fired. Uh, Johan Zarco is going to go to K2 next. Has he? Yep. yep. See, this is what happens when you um, when you travel. Yeah. A... So Zarco's taken over that ride. So he 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 because obviously uh, Tech Three are not going to be the Yamaha satellite team next year. In fact, we don't know who it is. It may well be Mark VDS. Uh, yeah, it probably Tech won't be because that's our okay. next story. Uh... All right. Tech Three are going to be. Uh, um, KTM satellite team, but going on to KTM Works team is Johan Zarco, and leaving KTM's Works team is Bradley Smith. Mm, okay. So even four races, a lot of people who know who who know they're they're out of work with the team they're currently with. So falling off or not classified then uh, in that were Jorge Lorenzo, Andrea Dovizioso, Pedroza, Crutchlow, Luti, and Alex Rins. And Alex oh, Rins Xparker... as well fell off. Yes, I'm sorry, he should have been ahead of the, the, the Yamahas as well. He hadn't fallen off. It gets worse. And Alice Espargaro didn't finish the first lap. That put down. Oh, dear me. He was leaning, the Aprilia was leaning against the barrier and he was looking depressed with it. Mm. A bit like I was in that test ride. It was interesting, I, I remember I took a Aprilia on a test ride once. Uh, got off it just to, to have a look, at, look, look, to admire it as a local, about a mile and a half. It would never started again. Didn't buy that. No. Moving on. So, uh, Mark VDS, yes, uh, have a little bit of internal trouble, and I don't want to make this sound too much like our Formula One news that we did mm. a while ago, but yeah. um, financial impropriety. Oh, uh, no. This really? time within the team, though. Really? Oh, ha- but hang on, Th- that's not a new story for Mark VDS. Cast your mind back contributors and listeners when they had four wheels why was why was the motor racing team wound up and that ex do you not remember we talked about that extraordinary front page on the website where the team proprietor basically pointed the finger at one of his employees and said that's it we're done we're not doing that again so it's happened again yes this time though it's about the owners having a row oh okay Uh, uh, van der stratton and uh, uh, Bar follow me. So yeah, so they they they've it's just legal already. So that's okay. <laughs> okay then. Mm. We uh, should the stay out of the way continue. of that then. The team will continue in MotoGP until 2021. They have made that clear. Really? Yes. Okay. They just don't necessarily have any bikes. Uh, because so is that important to take part in the MotoGP championship? They're currently on Hondas, aren't they? But they yes. lose those at the end of the year. And they wanted Suzuki's, but they're not going to get those because um, 
they're probably going Suzuki. to go to oh, somewhere else. Well, I think Suzuki are, are, are not totally convinced about running a satellite team at all. Um, and then there's some Yamahas available, but there's two other teams who might take those. Um, uh, who are coming I'll have to them. If, no, if no one wants a couple of works Yamahas, I'll have them. It's fine, honestly. Going back to uh, British Superbikes, Leon Hausler, yes. as uh, Nick said, has taken the lead in the championship, 115 points. Yep. Uh, gives him a 14-point lead over Beaker from the Muppets, who is on 101. Beaker from the Muppets? Yeah. Bradley Ray. Uh, and uh, and Motor GP okay. next goes to Le Mans. Everything goes to Le Mans next. Everything goes. It's it's uh, as it should do. Let's Apart yes. from the uh, um, Moto Endurance Series or whatever it's called, which, which has just been, been at Le Mans. Yes, yeah. which has yeah. just been at Le Mans. Correct. And, and don't forget, this weekend we have World Superbikes, and there is a chance for the all-time record to be beaten. Which the wins oh, record? Win. The wins record, yeah. By poor old Johnny Ray. Poor old Johnny Ray could beat Carl Fogarty. <sighs> really? Will he ever be king of the jungle? That's the question. I don't understand the significance of that. <laughs> well, you will. he's going to be King Louis. If you want From to relaunch the... your career after thirty years, fifteen years in the wilderness, there's nothing like a, uh, a, 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 a chatting to a couple of uh, Geordies. And you can also get your daughter married off to a TV star. No, you can't, because that's all broken up. Oh, has it? Yes. Ooh. Oh, it's the dark... Because Nick would know, of course. It's the dancing on ice, Tim. You, you really need to be up, up with these sort of things. Is it, I haven't got time. Of... How have you got time to, to watch awful TV filler shows? I don't I've have time to watch all the motorsports. I have plenty of time to read Digital Spy. Other uh, gossip uh, sites are available, though. Okay. Uh, so going back to MotoGP, it's the HGC No, we've helmets. moved away from that. We're, we're moving on to... Uh, the European Le Mans series now. All right. Oh. In which in which case? In which case we need to say goodbye to Nick Damon. Right. Bye. Bye, Nick. See you next week, and say Bye. hello to Johnny Palmer. And I can do that from here because all I have to do is push that little button and say hello, Johnny Palmer. Magic, isn't it? That's hello, John. Great. Look, he's there. He's hello. right there. And on my other side, I can say hello to Paul Truswell, who is still busy doing homework at this late hour uh, as we are live from the Aston Martin Lounge. Good evening, Paul. Uh, good evening, John. That'll do for the moment, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Paul will uh, interrupt where necessary when we get stuff wrong. What, what do you want Johnny to talk about? European Le Mans series. I did say European Le Mans series. I, I got Paul in just preempting. Just to say hello, really. Yes, just to say hello. Cause, you, know, he's, you just he's, wanted to interrupt his homework. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, he, if he's the teacher now... gives him bad marks, it's your fault, John. You're, you're one of those clever people, aren't you, that kind of want to make yourself look smart by who, making other people look stupid. Who, me? No, no, no. no. no, no. <laughs> I, want you to be, I want you to be smart because I know I'm not. That's, uh, that's where that comes from. Uh, Paul Truswell, in a wee while, with, the, uh, with our look forward to the Zurich 24 Hours, the ADSE Zurich 24 Hours of the Nürburgring. But this weekend, uh, the European Le Mans Series Circus moves to Italy, JP, and uh, a, an, a cast of thousands. Yeah, well, almost. Uh, 43 cars, which is very There's impressive. There's an asterisk after that, that, and then underneath the asterisk says, this may be completely untrue. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It says that on the sign. No, it doesn't say that on the sign. But <laughs> they, they've tried to carry on the momentum built at uh, Ricard. We had a few extra cars at Paul Ricard for the first four hours of the season, mainly because 
there was a WEC prologue at Ricard. Then mm. there was an ELMS prologue. Then there was a Michelin Le Mans Cup prologue, which sadly was entirely rained off. Yeah. It absolutely hammered it down for much of that week. But we did gain things like um, the Cinetech Alpine guys with their A417. They're not going to be part of round two. So why is, why is the 40-odd here, then? Is that, that That's not full season, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, European Le Mans series is incredible this year. Um, Incroyable. And... You know, just getting better and better. It is the most subscribed, I was going to say domestic ACO championship then, but you know what I mean. Yes, it, yes. It, you know, regionalised yeah, championship. Yeah. Um, 18 LMP2s, 19 LMP3s, I think it is. And we could do still, I think, with a few more GTs, six of them. I'm loath to say, sitting here in the Aston Martin lounge, we haven't got any Aston Martins either. It is just Ferraris and Porsches in the GTE category. But some uh, names that haven't been in the European Le Mans series for a little while, actually, uh, because of some clashes here this weekend. Matteo Cairoli is here in Germany, so therefore can't be part of his ELMS squad. Same goes for Dennis Olsen. So they've got in some a couple of old blokes from the Porsche ranks. Jimmy Bruni, who raced in the World Endurance Championship last weekend. I've heard of him. At Spa, yes. He's good, him. First appearance in the European Le Mans Series since 2012. Uh, when he have won they it. plucked Johnny Molum out of retirement as well? I haven't seen Johnny Molum, although Johnny Molum, is, isn't he not part of the Michelin Le Mans Cup? Yes. I think he may be. Yes, yeah, so another of course, one that's, that's uh, where he retired to. Continues to retire, yeah, uh, see, but finds work. I had, a, I had a word with Johnny about this recently, and he says people should have read what he wrote about that. He said he was retiring from top-line international competition to con- to concentrate on looking after his on, clients and mentoring people. On big European championships instead. Well... He he's helping out. He's going to be back on telly as well. Well, that's because he's still travelling. That's a, that's a travelogue more than a racing show, isn't it? Johnny Johnny Morlam's racing travels. Yes, yes, exactly. yes. So, so, sorry, I was frantically searching the uh, entry list for Michelin. I, I can't did the, find did the last. T- so the last time Jimmy Bruni was in the European Le Mans series, was, yeah, it was when he won it, was it? Uh, if that was 2012, yes. I'm now going to have... I mean... Didn't he win it with Rob Bell? Oh, that's good, if that's the case. Hang on a moment. And the other guy that's back, by the way, Mark Lieb, who's been even longer out now, and... Uh, the engineer, Mark Doesn't Lieb, do a great now. deal of, it, of driving these days, I didn't think. No, but, he's um, an engineer, yeah. Exactly, but uh, again... Passed his exams. He is going to be driving uh, one of the new Porsches, admittedly, uh, They've become customer cars, we should remind everybody. Because um, they're a year old. Dempsey Proton, yeah, having some good numbers in the black book there to call on when Dennis Olsen and Matteo Carelli are otherwise disposed here at the Nordschleife. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the 226 Porsches that Christian Reed uh, has for Proton. Uh, one of them was uh, sadly damaged beyond repair, I think, at uh, Ricard Test. Uh, Joel Camathius politely shown the door and told mm. not to return. Um, Don't darken our workshop again. Uh, so what we're 2012 s- was that bizarre year, wasn't it, where we had six six hours of Castellet, six hours of Donington, and then we finished at Petit Le Mans. Ah, right, okay. It must have been the year before that Jimmy was uh, champ then. But that was he was definitely part of that uh, season. Yes, you're right. Right, okie dokie. Mm-hmm. That seems reasonable. Uh, so plenty of action in prototypes. 
uh, both twos and threes. Yes. Not so much perhaps in the GTs, but they're still going for a, a automatic Le Mans entry, aren't they? Yes, they are. Oh yeah, I mean, there's lots on the table. How does that work then with the super season where there's two Le Mans and effectively that's not the next season, or do they not get their season until the, their automatic entry until 2020 then? Uh, it'll be 19 it, strokes it when you won't it? It should. I mean, the European Le Mans series shouldn't change because it's always been. No, no, but you get they, to the end of your year and then you get a place at next next Le Mans. Even though that's in a season that doesn't help you because it's already started. See what I mean? Well, it, the World Endurance Championships season has started. Yes. But ELMS because Le Mans isn't part of the European Le Mans series. It's not a race of the no, championship. No, but, but normally what's happened in the past is you would win your championship, you would get your invitation to Le Mans. And then that might be a springboard for you to go, ooh, shall we go and do something else? Maybe do some more WACs or whatever. But you see what I mean? It's like... Right. Because mm. you, you've already got your entry, so... It, the issue is know. that the 2019 European Le Mans series will not have finished when the 2019-20 WEC season starts. Yes, but that won't matter because there's a, a, there is a, the, the Le Mans is still at the end of it. And still, still in the next season, as far as the ELMS is concerned, is the point that Johnny's making. Completely arguing against myself now, as I am wanted to do. Philip Albuquerque's back because he's not right racing at Johnny brings us back Long to sen- Beach. Sensible. Uh, I, I saw Philip Albuquerque as I was picking up my hire car mm-hmm. at Marseille Airport. He was turning up in a little tiny hatchback, like a Volkswagen Polo or something, and right. to see Philip driving your average person's car was bizarre, frankly, but I suppose everyone's got to scoot about, haven't they? Mm. Not necessarily in the prototype. So he was... Well, if he turned up with a prototype at Marseille Airport, there wouldn't have been much room for his luggage, would there? No. And if he kept that car uh, for Long Beach, I'm I'm sure he would have been beaten. Um, But Bruno Senna did a cracking (laughs) job um, joining Phil Hansen. I mean, Phil Hansen is still trying to gain as much experience as possible. So they're doing it as a... a, This is United Autosports, by the way, in Car 22... Mm -hmm. Their Ligier and Phil's decided that he's going to do 50% of the driving effectively. So he's only got one teammate. It was Bruno Senna at Ricard. It's going to be Philly Barbacut. That, that's all we're going to see, sadly, of Bruno for the rest of the ELMS, just the one off okay. appearance. Um, other driver changes. Uh, we've got uh, Felipe Nazza in, um, who's. Uh, um, he's just, he's just appearance come back at, from, uh, from mid Ohio as well. Yeah, uh, another former Formula One driver on the Le Mans list that was announced at the end of April and to get his eye in he's replacing Andrea Beliki who sadly injured his back at uh, the Ricard test and I think that might be it for Beliki at uh, Chetelavi Lorba Corsa um, stepping back again for, to do sort of more management roles so joining Roberto Le Corte and uh, Giorgio Cernagiotto so he's is doing Brazilian for driver. good or just for this season I think I'm not sure how to the extent what extent this back injury is and whether it was an existing problem that he aggravated at Ricard or it's a fresh problem, but um, that's it for the season as far as Baliki's concerned, and Nasa mm. now in to replace uh, for the rest of the ELMS. Mm. There are one or two changes in LMP3 as well. Stonking racing always is when you've got 19 cars, and the qualifying is, if anything, as entertaining as the race because it's such a short, sharp session. They're 10 minutes each, these sessions, for qualifying on Saturday, that is. Uh, and you get all sorts of different names at the top of the times before finally the, uh, the quickest guy comes through right at the end, normally on their final 
lap. So look out for that as a highlight of the weekend. Um, and GTs, as I say, split between the new Porsche and the new Ferrari. Now, it's Ferrari's backyard, really, um, Monza. And Porsche have been dominant two years ago at the, at the Imola track. Uh, I think they had a good Monza last year, too. Mm. And with a Porsche, if anything, with a slight edge in balance of performance... I can see it's a German car taking pole, but then we said at Ricard it was going to be a Porsche all day long. Probably they were going to lock out the podium. And Jim McWhirter's team, JMW Motorsport, came through with a fantastic win in the end, despite Liam Griffin having some early spins in the race. Alex McDowell has got used to a Ferrari, having raced uh, Aston's in the past. And Miguel Molina, well, there's no question about the Spaniard's pace once he gets at the wheel of uh, Ferrari. We had the lead change in GT, I think it was on the... Yeah, it was at the start of the final lap yeah. at Ricard. So they might be slightly slim on the ground, but I think that's going to be a fight all the way through the four hours in GTs. Uh, early days in the season um, and a relatively short season for the ELMS, you can't really afford a bad result in that championship, can you? No, well, I, think, I think these days you can afford one. In the days when it was five races in the season, you really couldn't. But one DNF... I think we've still had title winners with that, but I remember chatting to Matt Griffin at the back end of last season, and he said we we just had I think it was two DNFs and a, a bit of an off race where they finished fifth or sixth. They had a fast car all season, but you just cannot run a cha- you can't win a championship with um, that lack of finishing, I suppose. Uh, but it is important. You don't have to win every race; just be in the top four or five for each one, and you'll find, generally speaking, you're there or thereabouts heading for Portimao at the end of the year. Uh, heading to another classic circuit, and the ELMS, you know, they do a good job, these four-hour races well established now, and going to a classic circuit that we haven't had uh, sports cars uh, in this championship one for a, a little while, have we? It, well, it came uh, back onto the calendar last, last year, year. Um, and that was, I think, the year that the WEC had their prologue at Monza mm. um, without, oh, yes, without the chicane right. yes. at times too, or the, the, the open test was. I didn't think going into that race last year we were going to get, I think it was late 30s as an entry there. I thought there's no chance we're going to get through the chicane with no contact and we're going to lose cars there. And, you know, they behave themselves so well. So carnage then this weekend. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, the weather's glorious here at the Nürburgring. It's going to yeah. be similar... Um, Mike, slightly south of us, quite a bit south of across us. Across and down. And down. Yeah, there it's we go. Across and I down. Can see it from here. Off to the right. If you stand on your tip to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's frustratingly, a shame Nick not, wasn't he? He would tell us. He would tell us he, we could drive it in an hour. Frustratingly, the Daily Sports Car gang, including Graham Goodwin, who are heading down there now, have sent me photographs of how they've got there, mm-hmm. which is a car on a train through the Alps. Oh, fantastic! I'm gutted not to be part of that, but um, the photographs are making me well gel. I mean, envious. Yes. Uh, and well, env. Well, env doesn't quite roll off the tongue. No. Uh, so you, yeah, you and, could and be the weather looks fantastic. Nine hours, Johnny. Yeah, but I've got commitments, haven't I? You know, I, I feel like a factory driver in that I'm deployed wherever I'm told. Mm-hmm. So I'm here in Germany, and I can't, uh, I cannot fault 150 cars on the Nordschleife. So. A disappo- slightly disappointing 150 cars. It is really, yeah. yeah. The, the Smallest entry I've ever seen. They're going to be far mm. more spread out on the Nordschleife than the 43-hour van Monza. Well, you mm. say that, but if you take um, actual time into uh, into uh, consideration, possibly oh, not. slower, you think? 
Well, but because yeah. I still think by the time laps get involved. Well, the other thing to mention is there have been some tests today actually at Monza, mm. and um, in the early test it was Will Stevens for Panas Bartis competition, and the Ligier is actually doing all right now. You know, we had the yeah, last yeah. year where the Orica's just romping away, and they had to bring this Joker in play to bring the Ligier and the Dallara onto more of an even keel. Well, looking at the times from this morning, we've got each of the three chassis represented in the top four there. Mm. And I'm pleased to see Matej Vosizakian driving for SMP Racing after that massive crash. As we, was, as we were talking about in the first hour, yes, absolutely. Uh, so this weekend live, it's it's Saturday-Sunday event, isn't it? Yes, uh, it is. So, and and uh, a bit of, uh, bit of Le Mans Cup as well. Yes. The uh, usual with qualifying... Uh, which we've not included in previous seasons, but qualifying available for Michelin Le Mans Cup 2, and they qualify on the same day as their race. Yeah, so that's a Saturday. Uh, yeah, so you can hear... And see. And, and indeed see, yes. yes. But um, as far as RS3 is concerned, um, it's the ELMS qualifying 12.30 start in the UK, I believe it is, and... Michelin Le Mans Cup race after that at uh, 3.45 or 4.45 Central European time. The countdown to green on Sunday, the 13th of May, starts at half past 12 if you're in the UK, but just go to the website and it'll convert the times for you with a 1pm start for the four hours of Monza. Yeah, that's becoming standard operational procedure now, isn't it? Yep. All right, Johnny, don't go too far away. You're listening to uh, Mid week motorsport great to have your company uh, we're here at the Nürburgring for the ADAC Zurich 24 hours we're in the Aston Martin lounge our salubrious accommodation again got to be one of if not the most uh, comfortable place to do a broadcast from which to do a broadcast Tim where would you like to go next I'd like to go to Hockenheim uh, Actually, I'd like to have gone to Hockenheim last weekend I went to Hockenheim last year yes I enjoyed it. It was good. Hockenheim's not that far from here. In fact, if it's you not. want to miss miss all the roadworks uh, around uh, Belgium, all appears to be dug up. Um, then going down to Hockenheim and uh, and coming back up again uh, is possibly not the worst thing to do. Well, I think Johnny's still going to head towards Koblenz and turn right until he gets to Como and then uh, take a little dog leg to Monza. So. Mm. Uh, he might have to set off now if he's going to do that. I went to Koblenz for a school trip in Year 7. So did, did you? I? We had, we had weather we like this. We didn't have Year 7 in my day, but uh, I did go to Koblenz. And Cologne. That's, I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I went to Hamburg. Week. Did you? Yeah, Kevin Keegan was playing there. <laughs> oh, I see. That's, no, no, no was, but, you know, that was where the school trip went. That so. was in the 1970s, of course. Yes. Because that's when I was at school, Tim. You didn't think Johnny, I went on a... That was before Johnny was born. I couldn't possibly have gone on a school trip after that because I'm not a teacher. <laughs> so, moving on, Hockenheim. Uh, that'll be DTM. Yes. And what, we, we, ha- did, we have uh, one of the series that were there last weekend, here, this here, weekend as yes. well. What did Timo Glock have to say about it? I like Hockenheim, it's great. That's not what he said, is I it? I hate Hockenheim, it's rubbish. He said, the best racing... Hell, Mercedes, this is why you should not leave this championship, you idiots. It was a good race. Really? Didn't say it, I'm afraid. And he won. Right. And was unhappy. No, he didn't. He wasn't unhappy. He just wants competition. He wants Mercedes not to pull out. Well, then, because if they do, it'll be the last year of the championship, as we've been saying. 
it's just that's it. It will be. Uh, okay, so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, Tim's just spoiled it for you. If you haven't seen it yet, then two races. There were right. two races. Yes. Okay. Don't spoil the other one then. <laughs> well, anyway, it was. It, I mean, was it, was it the all, usual ridiculously what, what large did, crowd? Uh, it was all about Timo Glock and Gary Paffett, basically. What, what did all they were side by side for laps and laps and laps. Sorry, say again, Tim. I said, what did uh, Ulrich Fritz, who is the boss of the Mercedes DTM, uh, have to say about Timo Glock's uh, expletive-laden uh, rant towards him? He says, I wish that Timo would... And... And... All the way home. No, he said, it's <laughs> nice to hear that uh, from a driver. <laughs> That's positive pains, doesn't it? All right, fine. It would be a shame for that championship to go. I've, I've I've witnessed it now, and there's actually nothing like being there. In fact, Johnny and I, just this week, were talking about the Brands Hatch round, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, well, it's not racing in the UK since 2013, so it's nice to have it back. It used to race at Donington Park. It was then on the Brands Hatch Indie Circuit. I don't think it's ever raced on the Brands Grand Prix track. No, so I don't think it has either. Be mega. So back uh, on the, yeah, hopefully, it will be a lot better there than it was on the Indie, because... Uh, mm. Johnny and I were at that last Brands Indy race uh, for DTM, and on the grids before the race started, Gary Pappett was uh, challenged uh, by to uh, a fight by whoever was interviewing him, uh, saying these cars are pretty dull around the uh, Indy circuit, and he said. That has been the case in the past, but I think today we'll see something much more exciting. And was he right, Johnny? No, he wasn't. Not really. No, he no, wasn't. No. Is that when it, Leicester's Jamie Green won at a canter? Yes. The unexciting bit was bring when, him uh, home, and I was Johnny, reminded, bring him home. I was reminded by seeing Mike Rockefeller on the way in here today. Rocky broke down, I think, virtually in front of where we were in spectating, uh, to the to to the left of the main straight, and they did a live snatch straight across the track with a tow rope when the I mean it was covered by basically one yellow flag and he went is a gap here that'll do <laughs> the leader's that. coming round what are you doing <laughs> on the indie circuit on the on indie circuit. circuit yeah that's fantastic and, and we've got 25 it. seconds to yeah. get him shifted they moved him from the outside of the track to the inside of the track back to the, back to the pit lane basically. rev it man rev it pulled it across the track <laughs> yeah pretty this much this is because yeah. when DTM like comes to the band. UK it's sanctioned by the BRSCC and they're a massive Excellent. fan of live snatch yeah moving on uh, so, uh, Mercedes um, suddenly doing very well in the DTM, uh, which they're leaving. Or possibly not. Well, even Mercedes uh, say they probably will still leave. Uh, we'll see. Uh, what's gone wrong for Audi, though? The, uh, they're not Mercedes. They're not leaving. That's what's gone wrong for Audi. They're not leaving. That's That's why. So it's going to turn into the TT Cup, is it? Yeah. It'll just be BMWs on their own, probably, won't it? No, because both BMW and Audi, if if Mercedes do leave, BMW and Audi will agree to leave as well and not be the last one in. They will say... The the, the press release will read something to... um, Since the departure of um, Mercedes-Benz, we don't feel that we can do the sport justice so we're both going to pull out as well and it'll become the DTCRM DTCRM get it DTCRM very good yes or the DTTT could be too yeah no but TCR's injected fantastic life into the World Touring Car Championship entry looks superb this weekend for uh, first round was a snore fest at Marrakesh though 
Oh, was it? Oh. I thought you said Snowfest in Marrakesh. Yes. <laughs> Snowfest, right. It, there, uh, was, there was no overtaking and no crashing. The races at... Um, I didn't see them both in in their entirety, but uh, Hungaro Ring looked far more exciting. Oh, I didn't see that, so I only saw the Marrakesh. Starts. They looked good. So... Uh, okay, moving Let's on. Let's Jamie Green uh, says yes, the reason that the Audis are uncompetitive is because they aren't allowed to have air ducts taking air to the rear, rear wheel arches anymore, right. and they aren't allowed to have all those little winglets on the front of the car. Right. So uh, they're advanced. Aerodynamically all aerodynamic before. Yes. Okay. Well, seems reasonable. Moving on. Uh, we're staying in Germany, but right. we're heading back to where well, you we are. We haven't moved either. We're still in Germany. Uh, to preview this weekend's uh, Nürburgring 24-hour race. The ATSC Zurich 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Uh, a one-off event. Uh, it's unusual nowadays. Uh, discuss, gentlemen. And we'll bring Paul in on this uh, as well. I shall turn your microphone on. Uh, and in some ways, Paul, quite refreshing. Uh, yes, we have the, the VLN, but... Um, this isn't a part of it, and it's only quite refreshing to have a one-off race that is still a one-off race, and nobody's. You read tra- my blog, didn't you? No, I'd, actually, I didn't, <laughs> but, but I <laughs> should have. There, there, there is a blog about that very thing. It's, um, I think it's good. And yes, you're right, because the other 24-hour races that we go to, um, yeah, I mean, whether it's the Dubai 24 hours, mm-hmm. which is part of Creventix series, uh, whether it's the Spa 24 hours, which we haven't been to for a couple of years now, but uh, that's part of uh, the Blancpain series, of course. Uh, Le Mans is part of the WEC. Whether, however, they're transitioning, mm-hmm. um, and and so the Nurburgring does stand alone, and it does mean that you get 150 cars entered, um, who who maybe aren't that kind of experienced about racing each other and seeing each other at different places along the way, um, and it, it just does give it a very different kind of feel for me. Yeah, and and long may that long may that continue. Um, it is. Uh, the smallest entry we have ever covered here, I think. Uh, I can't remember. 229 um, the first year we it, were here. It, yeah, I remember it, that sticks in but, my memory. But that was um, a, a different kettle of fish in the sense that um, there were different things allowed into the entry. We had a lot of touring cars in the entry, which are not part of the entry now. And, and I think that's a good thing. Um, it was funny. Um, I was covering, although not at, the 24-hour qualifying race, mm. which is um, the, the precursor to this, which is it makes a lot of sense because it gives everybody a rehearsal to, um, to do lots of things. But it doesn't get anywhere near as big an entry as the 24 hours yeah. does. It was under 100. It was 92, yeah. I think, in the end that we got starting that race. But what was brilliant about it was that you got flat-out racing and the leading runners didn't come across much traffic. So mm. their battles weren't really interrupted. If you were quicker, you could catch up with the car in front of you. If you were slower, you got caught. You, and you would fall away, yes. And, or, or, yeah, depending where you were. Um, uh, whereas when the track gets busy, as it does with 150 cars, um, you, you kind of have your battles constantly being un- interrupted by the need to overtake people. Mm. Overtake people. Now that does make it very exciting to watch if you're on the spectator enclosures, and obviously this event is a lot about the spectators. Um, but uh, from the point of view of the pure racer in me, the kind of the the analyst in me, it, it's actually quite refreshing to watch the qualifying race and see how close to the limit they can go, lap after lap after lap after lap. And yes, uh, there uh, there is a different. 
there's a different, almost a different mindset, a different feeling about the race, a different character. That was the word I was looking for. There's a different character to races like that. And I, I, I completely agree with you, having covered the qualifying race last year when we did it for the first time, I think. Yeah. And and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I think you and I mm. did that yeah, together, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, we did. And, and I remember thinking similar thoughts uh, at the time. Um, all the big names are here. It, I mean, the entry is phenomenal and kind of and that's why it's taken me so long to do the homework. Um, yes, I mean, not just the big names in terms of the drivers, the big names in terms of the manufacturers are here. Um, the big names in terms of the teams are here. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, we could go go through them. But, you know, we've got Mercedes with Black Falcon. We've got Mercedes with McCormick, with um, with HTP. Sorry, the the. Um, Team Man filter cars, uh, which are really HTP. Um, we've got Porsche with the Manti cars. We've got Audi with the Motorsport cars, with Phoenix Racing, with WRT. Um, we've got Aston Martin with a GT3 car, which it could well be in the mix. And if it's not in the mix, then we'll put it in the mix anyway. Um, and, you know, the, the entry is phenomenal um we've got a tire war going on um we've got different brands of tires well that's that's another we've got different brands of tires on the same on the same manufacturing cars now last year that was the big story the big story was was the tires one of the many big stories Uh, and you know that all came down to the regulation about no tires being quote-unquote exclusive they had to be made available um to no confidential tires is the is the the way that the tyre companies talk about it. Now, what ha- what's happening with that this year? Are we going to get the same sort of no. idea where somebody's going to get upset and say, no, well, we're not giving our tyres out? No, the, the, as you say, because this is a standalone event, the ADAC, the Automobile Club of Germany, uh, basically can run it how they want to run it. Uh, and they thought that was getting a bit silly last year with people changing tyres uh, on the grid for mm. the top 30 qualifying, mm. having n- nobody knew about it. So now there is a new regulation which limits the tyres that you as a manu- as a as a brand, if you're Audi, uh, you're running an Audi, you're limited to three brands of tyres, Dunlop, Michelin or Falcon, I think. I can't remember what they are now, but anyway. So there is oh, a limit to... And they are named. The tyres are named. Those manufacturers, you have to pick from uh, one of those. Let's just pull that particular... Because we have right, a so huge, a huge selection of manufacturers here, yeah, as ever, so, tyre so, manufacturers. So it's not as big as it has been for that very reason. So if you're, if you're running a Porsche 911 GT3 R, you can use Dunlops, Michelins or Falcons. Right. And within Dunlops, Michelins and Falcons, you're limited to the number of compounds that you can use. And that table specifies which compounds you can and use. And that's in the supplementary regs? That's in a bulletin. Right. Okay. And... So, moreover, though, not only do you, but you then have to commit to one of those columns. You have to commit to Dunlop, Michelin, or Falcon at the outset. And in fact, the date has passed now because it's the 2nd of May, I think. Okay. And you have to fill in a form, send it into the ADAC, and say, that's the manufacturer I'm going to go with. Right. Now you're going to say, because you were watching the qualifying race, yep. what did Franz Conrad's team do with his Lamborghini halfway through the race? Yep. They switched tires yep. from Yokohama to Michelin halfway yep. through the race. They got special dispensation from the race director, Walter Hornung, to do that on safety grounds because Franz Conrad wrote a letter saying, my Yokohama tyres are puncturing, it will be dangerous to continue with them, please may I change? Walter Hornung said, yes, of course you can under those circumstances because you've written me a nice letter, then you can change. Yes. Uh, And obviously the reason that Franz gave was for safety reasons. Yes. 
and that was a fair call. Good judgment. Yep. Sensible use of the way that Discretion. you can get around the regulations yes. by, by asking nicely. So they can do that. What they can't do is what, as you said, they couldn't do last year which is to use these confidential tyres. The tyres must be available commercially, and there's even a price given for the amount of money that... So you can't just say, oh, yes, you can buy them if you want. They're a million dollars a cover. Uh, I think it's 500 euros, but don't quote me on that. But there is a price given as to what the maximum amount that you can spend on the tyre is. Was that per tyre or per set, Paul? That's per tyre. I think it's 500 euros per tyre, which is quite a lot but it's not that much. Yeah, but much. per set, that would be really cheap. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd go and get some myself at that rate. Although they don't have any tread on them. Um, <laughs> but um, so the so the tyres that you are able to use must be free, not freely available, but um, uh, commercially available. And you have to commit to what you're going to do. And then after each session, you have to fill in a form that says, this is what I've used. And they will come and check you if you haven't, right. so if you if you have cheated. The other thing to just mention whilst we're on tyres, although it's slightly tangential to what you were saying, is that the Michelin Special Slick Intermediate Tyre yes. isn't allowed anymore. I don't know where that is allowed anymore. I don't think it's allowed. Is it just, do they still use that at the WEC, Johnny? The Slick Intermediate? We haven't had a new rain in WEC, so I don't know mm. if it's... Uh, uh, I haven't looked. Because um, that... That was always counted as a slick tyre anyway, wasn't it? it no, was, it wasn't. It was counted as a wet tyre. Oh, uh, was it? Um, and that's effectively what the ADAC has done, is to define that a wet tyre must, or a wet or intermediate tyre, must have a tread pattern. Right. And so you can't use an intermediate tyre that doesn't have a tread pattern. Um, but you, I suppose you could declare it as one of your slick compounds, though. Uh, you could, but uh, yes. And there is no... Uh, limit to the number of tyres that are used. So all of this okay. I've been saying on l- tyre limitations is purely based on tyre compound Br- limitations. Right. It doesn't tire affect brand. the number and tyre brand. Yep. doesn't affect the number of tyres that you can use. But whilst we're on things that we'll have to keep an eye out for, how many of the, we talk about the top 30, the top 30 shootout, which is Thursday tomorrow, one of the most exciting parts uh, of the weekend. Is that tomorrow? Friday. Friday, that is. Um, as soon as I said that, I knew that was wrong. It's night practice tomorrow. Um, one of the most exciting things. How many, are there any places still up for grabs in the top 30? There are, and I haven't got to that bit of my own work yet. Right, I okay. think off the top of my head, it's it's either 12 have been set and there's 18 left, or there's 18 that have been set and 12 still left. Right. I think it's 18 have been set and 12 are still left. I was talking to the guys from Aston Martin. Um, Johnny Adam was in here. Um, earlier on this afternoon and we were having a chat about that and they were saying how many is left uh, Alex was here as well Alex, Alex Lane as well So, and I, and I said I'm pretty sure that there's at least half or getting on for half of the 30 still to be set what's going to be interesting with the top 30 shootout is they're, um, they're taking a leaf out of the, the, the Le Mans 24 hours here um, and they for before the top 30 instead of the cars lining up in on the start line in normal kind of grid type formation they're going to form them up in an echelon formation tails into the grandstand not into the pit wall uh, but tails into the grandstand end and if you were here for the qualifying you'll have seen it because it happened Um, same thing here they're going to line them up with the tails into the grandstand and then just before the top 30 session starts they'll be pushed into position nose to tail and then they'll be flagged off at 10 second intervals to go off and do their single qualifying lap um and then the other thing to say about the top 30 which is different from last year no 
say no more blue flashing lights not quite blue flashing lights as we know and love them right um the blue flashing lights as we had last year have gone because they're replaced by the LumiRank position numbering system which tells you the position that the car is right this is in the top of the windscreen top, is it? i think it, yes it can be either top right or top left of the windscreen so there's a three every car every car will be carrying one of those and you'll know where your car is because it will tell you what position it's in um now the plan was that for the top 30, your LumiRank position number would flash. And is that a different colour depending on your class? No. no there's so too many classes for that. Right, so it's just, so it would have been a bit like Jacob's many co- uh, coat of many colours. Um, so, so, so it is, it is so just... The idea was that that number would flash continuously to advise people that you were a top 30 person. Right, okay. Not that you're in the top 30 in the race, but that you are a top 30 the qualifier. qualifier. Right. However, when they did that... So that's just overall position. That's overall, right. overall positions. Right. When they did that during the qualifying race, they found it wasn't distinctive enough. So they've now modified the system such that the top 30 number will flash in blue. So it's kind of half so of one. So double. So D- doing double duty. So the, the system is clever enough to display in blue and it's clever enough to flash. And so you'll see those cars flashing a blue light but it will be their position that it's flashing. So it might be a blue stick if you're number one. Indeed. Or it might be three ones if you've had a nightmare to the start. And, and you're 111th. Yes, OK. But right. it, it will be blue and it will flash. OK, that, that's fine. Thank you, Paul. Sorry, I went on a bit there. No, 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 that's that, fine. That was because you talked about top 30. No, no, that, I needed to get that because I've got, I'm, I'm woefully behind here. I'm still trying to get rid of all the um, IMSA stuff from last weekend out of uh, my brain. Johnny, as ever, we've got a phenomenal uh, list of, of cars and drivers. We've, we've touched on on some of them. Um, I mean, where do you start? Just, and actually, well, actually with number e- one. Well, but but even the cars that are just here doing demos, we've got two Porsches here doing demos. A 956. Yeah. With Hans Stuck driving that car, we've got the technical marvel. That is the uh, excitement of the 919 Langheck, the uh, not just the H, the LH, as I'm calling it, because it has got the longer, um, has got the longer rear end, trying to go for uh, times, etc., etc. Um, so, uh, I mean, just excitement, top to bottom. Yeah, very much. I, I would, yeah, certainly w- within the GT3s, um, Audi are going to be doing something clever with their drivers. It would seem because. Some of the Audi factory drivers seem, seem to be labelled as being in more than one car, which you can do, mm. but across teams. So, for example, Rene Rast, due to be driving effectively last year's winning car from Audi team, uh, team Lant, mm-hmm. but he's also in with WRT, which is a very, you know, totally different squad. They're bitter rivals, but both run Audis. And clearly Audi have had a bit of an agreement, if this happens, that Rene can b- drive both cars. And the same goes for Calvin van der Linde. And they're just two examples of several drivers doing the same. Yeah, and they are the only two who are driving for two substantially different teams. Um, the uh, we got Renga van der Zander, who's driving potentially in both of the HTP cars. Um, you've got Volker Strychek. Um, as ever, driving the Kisling Motorsport Opel Manta. Um, you can tick that one off your bingo list. We've talked about the Kisling Motorsport car now, mm-hmm. but he's also driving uh, in an Opel Astra somewhere else in the field, I think. Yes. So with his daughter no, this time? No. no okay. No, um, 
it's it's with another it's with another team anyway um so yes there are a number of drivers what i think will happen with the kelvin van der linde and uh, rene rast and i need to confirm this with somebody is that one will concentrate on one car mm. and the other will yes. concentrate on the other car until such time as they have a team problem and one of them has fallen out uh, and then they've got the other one to pull themselves across. Uh, Paul Truswell and Johnny Palmer will uh, join me, Joe Bradley and some special guests uh, for our coverage of the Zurich, the ADAC Zurich 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Uh, it will... Uh, we'll start our coverage Thursday. Uh, check RadioLamont.com for details. It will be on Tim. It is on RS1, isn't it? It the is. Weekend. Yes, yeah. it is. I thought it was. It will be on RS1, and uh, if you've got your browser time set to your home clock time, then it will auto correct time to that auto displayed uh, time to your your home time, as long as that is what your browser is set to. And if you uh, use uh, Apple Calendar or Google Calendar or Outlook Calendar, you can. Add mm. our schedules to that and uh, set yourself little notifications and reminders when things are going to start. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or you can just uh, or you go can on not Twitter. Do that. Or you can go to Twitter and uh, the uh, RSL Llama will tweet you if you follow RSL Llama. Uh, and will that will find that will or, find or you. Or you can go well. to Instagram and look at pictures of kittens. Yes, true. Uh, it, that's fair. Uh, you're listening to a special midweek motorsport because it is the Nürburgring 24 this week. We are ensconced, ensconced in the lounge of Aston Martin. We have our supplies of Tregothnan tea, so all is good with the world. And we are ready to go broadcasting uh, from Thursday through to Sunday. Busy weekend, as we've already mentioned, with ELMS from Italy as well, uh, from Monza, and that will be over on RS3. Sound and vision for both of those this weekend uh, on, with our commentary synced to it. Tim, where would you like to go next? Is, uh, uh, we haven't got a huge amount of time left as we're right, into the final two minutes of the show. Right. Uh, but I do want to uh, read uh, some news from Coventic, which oh. is that the dates have been announced for the 2019 Dubai 24 hours. I love those guys. We can start booking flights already. So the Proto Series, uh, just like in 2018, the Proto Series races on uh, one weekend, which is the 5th and 6th of January, and then the following weekend it's the uh, GTE series and the TCE series with the 24-hour race on the 11th, 12th and 13th. So that's another two weeks holiday in uh, the early part of the year for the team that goes out to cover that. Hmm. Yes, I think we're too good to them. Uh, thank you very much to all our contributors tonight and to you for listening. Uh, make your choices at the weekend, but it doesn't have to be one or the other, of course, because they will all be available on the archive. Or you could fire up two machines, I suppose, and watch both of them and listen to both of them as well. That might be a tad uh, confusing. There's no time to explain. The Llama is going to be a bit of a push-me-pull-you this weekend. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.